Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Hello! Hi! Happy weekend! Thank you so much. Happy weekend to you too. I hope you've been enjoying it. I have had a very relaxed weekend. I have not gone anywhere or done anything. Uh, I think I put a bra on just to record because I was like, I feel like I should like get dressed in like an outfit that is not just pajamas, but that's it. Like it's been great actually. <laughs> My kids have been pretty well behaved and uh, I've been cooking food, which is something I really struggle with lately so I've, I've th- I feel like it's been pretty good how about you how has your weekend been yeah it's oh, been pretty good you. thank you <laughs> no it's been pretty good I got called in to do some work yesterday which is annoying but Ooh. you know that is just a lot of my job so I can't really complain um and I tried not to get too annoyed by it because I'm like this is this is your job there's no point getting annoyed it's no point getting angry but yeah that kept me busy from like three till five no three till seven yesterday so mm. Yeah, but that's okay. Otherwise, yeah, chill day. The weather was terrible yesterday, but amazing today. So that is just the Wellington life. If you had to get called in on a weekend, at least it was the yucky day, right? Yeah, that's totally true. Very true. Mm. Very good. Don't do drugs, guys. It's not good for you. No, really. Just go get your drugs tested or checked if you're going to do them because you really can't trust what anyone tells you is in them. And then you are taking what you think is cocaine or ketamine, and it's actually got heroin in it, which is a bad time for everyone involved. That is a bad time for everyone. (laughs) That just makes Mm. me very stressed and sad and scared for people. Yeah. I I don't even like taking codeine two days in a row. (laughs) So I like I was never the person for who, like, anti-drug awareness. I was already anti-drug. I was like, no, thank you. (laughs) Like, no. But um, it does stress me out to think that, like, people will just take anything. Well, this is why I'm pro-drug regulation and, like, decriminalization. Because mm. at least if it was regulated and you could go and buy what you actually wanted, like, codeine. You know it's codeine. Yeah. You know what's in it. It's been, you know, through the rigorous process of getting approved and all these things. But you can just buy any old white powder and you don't know what's in it because it's illicit. People can do whatever they want. So Yeah. And that's why people get hurt annoys me anyway be safe about it if you're going to do something truly annoying but hey what sparked joy for you this week um so i've been watching sabrina the teenage witch the 1996 series uh with my daughter and it's really fun i was not sure it was going to hold up because you know it was made in the 90s i remember really loving it when i was my daughter's age this is this is the Mm. like how we how it shakes out is that I was 11, 12 when I started watching it, and um, I really loved it because I love Melissa Joan Hart. I just think she's great. Um, and and other, aside from some, like, body image stuff, like, there is, like, a scene in one of the first two episodes where she's like, of course I'm a size three. And they're like, mm, but I think your dress is a size five. And I'm like, oh, we used to do that. <gasps> do you remember, Jen, that we used to do that? Like, sizes mm, were a big deal. Horrible, yeah. Like, people would talk smack about other people who had a bigger size. I messed up. Anyway, um... So yeah, other than that, it's actually quite cute and it's still really like fun to watch and Salem the cat is still very naughty and cheeky, which is great. So that's been sparking joy for me. 
How about you? Amazing. I had a couple of fun brunches this weekend. So yesterday I went to see a friend I haven't seen in ages and we had a lovely brunch and just caught up. Mm. And then this morning my housemate and I went to celebrate the fact that we have been homeowners for one year now. We've got officially been in the house a year. Oh my gosh, happy one year homeowniversary. Thank you. So yeah, we went and had brunch at a, one of our cafes just down the road that we like, but they were very slow and disorganized, which really stresses me out because I can just see the improvements we can make to <laughs> improve their lives. But never yeah. mind, the food was delicious. So it's fine. It's fine. Yay. <laughs> happy one year homeowniversary. That is great. I had kind of not thought it was this week but yeah it is the week of your birthday isn't it so yeah because we bought it the week of my housemate's birthday and then we moved in the week of my birthday so yeah you still love it you still happy there very happy yep okay good a lot of stuff we need to fix which is very annoying <laughs> but that's fine i i trust that you're the kind of person who will actually get things fixed though i've got a list a mile long and it's just not yeah it'll take a while longer for me but i think you would get it done i trust you to get your house stuff done really just depends on the money. That's the annoying mm. thing. But anyway. Yeah. Well, this week we are reading chapter 62 through the epilogue, through the theme of promise, and then we're wrapping up The Raven King. Wow. I know. Um, do you have a story in the theme of promise for us? Yes, yeah, so promise is great. I love a good promise. I make many, many promises to myself, which I will unpack in this story. So... If we think of a promise as a declaration or assurance that you will do something or that a particular thing will happen, you know, that's the classic kind of either you promise to do something or someone promises you that something will happen. There's a promise, mm -hmm. a guarantee of an event occurring, a thing happening. So when my parents told me that we were moving to Australia, so I was 13 years old. No, 13? Yeah. And we were moving to Australia from South Africa and I had not been partial to this conversation prior to the... the you know, being the confirmation. I did not know that yeah. this was in the works. They've kind of kept me shielded from it. And I remember they told me after they picked me up from like the final day out, we had a big team day out for the last year of school, like primary school in South Africa, you finish primary school at the end of year six and then you go to, oh sorry, at the end of year seven and then you go to high school in year eight. So we had a big like day out at a farm and people were running around being feral as kids necessarily are. And it was after they picked me up from that, that they told me. And I remember being very, like, you know, confused, but also just, like, very apprehensive about it. And then I started to tell myself, no, it'll be okay, because once you get there, I promise that you are going to go to the beach all the time, and I promise that you are going to learn to surf. That's what I told myself. Because I love the beach, and we didn't live near the beach where I grew up in South Africa. It was, like, a holiday destination, the beach. So the idea that we could move to Australia and be on the coast was just amazing, mm. and I was really into surfing at the time, bought all the surfing magazines, all these things, you know, as kids do. So I was like, this is the promise that I make myself. It's going to be okay that this thing is happening because this is what I am going to do. When we got to Australia, as I've mentioned previously on this podcast, I really, really struggled and I was really, really depressed for the first year that I was there. And I did buy a surfboard secondhand off Gumtree, but I've never learned to surf. I'm not a good swimmer. I'm not a particularly strong swimmer. Like I can keep mm -hmm. myself afloat, but I'm not a confident swimmer. I'm not a confident water person. Don't particularly like being in the water either. So none of these things really lends itself to wanting to surf. And also I'm, well, I was extremely self-conscious as a teen. So the idea of going out there having to put myself out there and being like mm -hmm. observed was just not something I could do. Now I have friends here in New Zealand now who very recently learned to surf like a couple of years ago. It must have been only two years ago they started taking it really ser seriously and they go on surf camps with other women, go to mm. Bali, go to Indon like um, Hawaii. 
all these different places on these holidays where they surf. They surf up in Auckland. They surf here in Wellington. And I have so much admiration for them, but I still... There's still this part of me that goes, Jen, you should learn how to surf. You always said you would, but I actually just really don't want to. (laughs) So I find this so fascinating because I feel like I make a lot of promises to myself. Mm. And I don't keep them. I don't keep my promises to myself. I think I keep my promises to other people. I keep my promises to my friends. When I make a commitment, I'm 100% seeing it through. I'm not a flaky person. But I do not keep my promises to myself. And I remember when I was in therapy, I would talk to my therapist about this. And she would always say, you need to make smaller goals. You need to make smaller Mm -hmm. things so that you start keeping promises to yourself. Like if you say, I'm going to go for a walk tomorrow and then you go for a walk, that's a promise kept. But if you're saying, I'm going to go to the gym every day for the next 90 days and you skip one day, then that's automatically a promise broken. So you just have this fulfilling thing. But I can't do it. I've tried (laughs) and I just can't do it. I don't care about disappointing myself. And I think this comes from being a perfectionist because as I've also said on this podcast before, being a perfectionist in the way that I'm a perfectionist feels like I'm always disappointing myself anyway because perfection is an unattainable goal. So therefore, it doesn't matter if I disappoint myself. I'm already disappointed by myself through existing. So it's just this weird thing where it's like, I can't keep my promises. But I also think it's because my dad loved making me promises as a kid that never got kept. And so, as I said on the last episode that we recorded, I have this thing where I have very low expectations and then my expectations, I can't be disappointed. And that also comes from that because my dad would be like, yeah, we're going to go to this theme park and then we'll never go or we'll get there and he can't find a park and then we'll go home. So it was just constant. Yeah. (laughs) So close. I have... I've seen the, the parking lot of very many places, of places I've never been inside of, because my oh father my has no patience. And it's like the best thing for him now, because he's got a disability car park, like he's got a sticker, mm. so he gets to park in the disability parks now, and it's like changed his life. But yeah, like as a kid, this was just this constant like promises that are not kept, expectations that are not met. And so I think I've sort of fallen into a thing where I can't meet those promises to myself, or I can't. I can't take them mm. seriously. And it's just really, really interesting why I can do it for other people, but not myself. Anyway, promise. <laughs> that is amazing. I have a hack for this, actually, which is that I just have to do like a lesson or I have to learn one part of it and that I've cons- then I consider myself having done it. Hmm. Because I had the same thing, like I'm moving to Australia, I have to learn to surf. That's what everybody does who moves to Australia. And I did two lessons. I stood up once and I went, that was really fun. I'm never doing that again. And I was fine with it because I felt like I had given it a good enough shot. You tried. Yeah, yeah. And same with knitting. Like I was like, I will learn to knit and I can do a couple stitches. I can knit in the round. Like I'm not great at it. I might get more skill later, but I had never learned. And then I learned and I was like, look, I did it. I knitted. Same. So sometimes you just have to get like, 10% 10% of the promise fulfilled and then you're mm. if you have an itchy brain like mine you can just be like oh that's good enough I learned the tick, end tick tick yep. let's move on yeah definitely no. no it's not for me because I gave it a good try yeah great suggestion <laughs> yeah so do like two lessons and then be like okay I've learned the end and especially if you do it in Wellington the waves are like baby waves so you'll be fine oh but it's so cold that's okay yeah I don't know It'll maybe be warm out of the water People always say it's so peaceful as well. Like, everyone's like, surfing's so great. It's so good for you. Like, it's so calming. It's such great exercise. I'm like, yeah, but also the ocean is terrifying. I'm more scared of the ocean now as an adult than I was as a kid. 100%. Because you realize Mm. that it's very deep and there's lots of scary stuff in there. It's terrifying. Also, though, I think there's something... We're runners. And there is just kind of like a mental divide between surfers and runners, I think. (laughs) Like, if you are one of those people, you are one or the other. 
Does that Not make sense? Both. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Although this friend I just told you about who took up surfing and has gone to all these camps and stuff, she used to do ultra marathons. She's an ultra marathoner, so. Okay, well, in that case, I think that your friend just might be really broken, and I'm sorry. Yeah, fair, <laughs> fair enough. Too much exercise. Even people who do ultra marathons kind of unhinged. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah. Shout out to my friend Robin who just had two kids and was like she's one of the top female runners in australia and she's the only one who's not sponsored by anybody um but she was like yeah it took me a while to get back into it and i was like robin you just had babies like your whole body just went through like you grew a person you're doing great you're doing so well <laughs> like just calm down madness i know i mean i like to run but i also like there's a reason i call them my grumpy little runs they're not about like being the best runner they're about scrubbing my brain off <laughs> getting back to being a nice person or at least a reasonable person yeah <sighs> well i think that you're worth keeping promises to yourself too but i also think that it's okay to change those promises mm. yeah i think i have too much flex in the promise that i set for myself i never used to be like this is a well i when i was a young younger child i was very good at being very disciplined and I'm just not as an adult and I don't know if it's that's because there's no consequences there's no consequences in disappointing myself so who cares but if I, I disappoint you... someone else that is a yeah. consequence you know yeah I think you just know what really matters to you yeah it's annoying though because I can't like con myself into doing things that's me all the time that's just executive dysfunction <laughs> that's like 90 percent of my life is like come on just try it you won't hate it and then i do the dishes and i'm like fine the kitchen really does look better <laughs> shall i read our chapter summaries yes please okay so ronan is being unmade by the demon adam unable to bear it scries and finds himself in the presence of persephone she gives him some very useful advice and he is himself again Meanwhile, Gansey accepts that there is no time to save himself and asks Blue to kiss him. She does, and he dies. It's pretty terrible. Henry tells the Gansey to do something because they are Gansey's magicians. Adam floats the idea of asking Cabeswater to die to save Gansey. Together they work with the last of Ronan's dreamt forest to do this. Gansey is remade. In the epilogue, Adam confronts his parents for the last time. It is neither satisfying or disappointing. Gansey, Blue, and Henry receive a graduation gift from Ronan for their gap year, and Ronan begins to dream. Hmm. So Gansey dies. I know, and isn't it interesting how when they remake Gansey, like they're in Cape's Water and they do all that, and it ends with Blue saying, you know, wake up. But we don't really know if it works or not. Not until, like, we go into the epilogue and you go into, like, Adam's whole spiel, but actually yeah. while that is happening, you are not 100% sure whether Gansey yeah. is alive or not. Yeah, we don't know if it works, but I like that it's echoed in his his statements to Glendower, wake up, which didn't work, and then also in in the, the cave of bones, right? When he said, wake up, and all of mm -hmm. them did. So this is the magic phrase, right? And it's also great because he's, like, finally being reborn into the person he's actually been this whole time. Oh, I have so many thoughts about this. I just love it so much as well because Caveswater takes so much from everyone there. He takes their mm -hmm. wonder and their love and their sadness and their grief and he weaves the, all of it together. And like, it really, really gets me that he takes Adam's humanity. He talks about Adam's like being yeah. so human and that is what he takes from Adam. And I'm just like, man, of, of all the characters when we started the series that you would have described that way, Adam was not one that would have come to mind. And yet yeah. he, like, he is such an important catalyst in this and all of his friends go into making Gainsey the way that he is and it's like that's why he feels like it's just what came first the chicken or the egg <laughs> i know i know 
this sent me down a whole rabbit hole. I'd been thinking about it all week. Just like teasing out the way that Caveswater took all of these things from his friends so that when he met them in the timeline when he met them, he was responding to that part of himself that was made from them. And that's why it felt so right. Like, so when, mm-hmm. he, met, when he met Adam, he was like, this is right. When he met Ronan, this is right. When he met Blue, this is right. Because they all put all of themselves into the big mixing bowl and then stirred it with the cave's water spoon. And voila, easy bake Gansey. Yeah. Like, he is all of them. And I love it. It makes me crazy. Oh, so good. It's so good. And then the promise of that as well, right? The promise of friendship. But yeah. also it's echoed so beautifully in the characters themselves, I think, because mm-hmm. it is through mm-hmm. our connection with people that we learn and we grow and we become better. It's the people we love that yeah. make us better people. And like the fact that Adam goes to have this confrontation with his parents and he talks about him having this moment that felt like blue and Gansey. And yeah. I just love it so much. I actually wrote it down. Where is it? Arrgh. I need to read it. Yeah, he said on page 430, he felt the sudden urge to save all those other Adams hidden in plain view, though he didn't know they w- if they would listen to him. It struck him as a Gansey or blue impulse, and as he held that tiny heroic spark in his mind, he realized it was only because he believed that he had saved himself that he could imagine saving someone else. It is so important. Like, that mm. section is so important because it is such a core tenet to what Adam wanted and the freedom that he has attained. Like, what he promised himself. He promised himself that he would get himself out. And he has. Like, mm-hmm. even though he felt like he didn't, he has. And it's because he has that freedom. He has a future. And, like, I think this last section, the promise of the future, is so tangible through all of it. Like, Henry is like, I thought we were going to go to Venezuela. And then Blue yeah. is like, my destiny's been fulfilled. Like, this promise of this prophecy has been achieved so what now what is the future now yeah that's an interesting point i wrote that one down too especially with blue right like gansey's death has been foretold as long as blue has been alive and able to understand it and now it's happened and she's for the first time she's got no future looming ahead no known future Mm -hmm. everything is unwritten for her so like that promise is done which means that she she doesn't know what to do next there's no roadmap And the same um, with Gansey, right? The promise yeah. of, like, greatness, the promise of his death. Yeah, and he's only able to really do that because he decides that dying to save his friends is greatness. He's 100% willing to do it. He's like, we already decided this. You saw me on the road. You know that this is what happens. We're going to do this. There's no time. It's awful, and I love it. I love that he makes meaning from that, though. Like, page 412, when he says at yeah. least he was going, he's doing it for people he knew we're really going to live. At least he was not dying pointlessly stung by wasps. At least this time it would matter. Like, yeah, there's something so incredible about making that sacrifice for the people we love. And I feel like Adam makes that sacrifice as well. He's like, he knows what it'll cost him to lose Cabe's water, but he's like, yes, he's willing to do it. I mean, yeah, he and he and Ronan have to make that decision together because one is the creator or I guess manifester and one is the steward, right? But here's something really interesting. He was Caveswater's eyes and ears. Do you think that that promise has now been fulfilled? Like, has that, like, because there is no Caveswater, is it concluded? Or do you think that he feels he let Caveswater down in some way? I was just wondering about this because he was so regretful at the end. I think he felt like he had a responsibility to Caveswater to keep it safe. Mm. But I do think that it is a fulfilled promise in the sense that Caveswater no longer exists in that way, right? So, yeah. But the hands and eye, the hands and eyes things is interesting as well because that is a promise too. Like if you are making, yeah. if you are making a commitment like that, that is a promise to do something for someone else. And I think, yeah, it's really interesting that he 
he really needs the connection with Persephone to bring that back to be able to take control of it again because he's like oh I've been hijacked by this demon and she's like but the, you didn't make a commitment to the demon yeah you made it to Cave's water yeah he needs to it's just it's so fascinating and then Ronan at the end you know how he thinks oh well how will I do it differently this time? I want Caveswood to be able to connect with other places on the ley line. I want to yeah. manifest it differently. Like, how can I help it protect itself? Like, he just knows that he can just do it again. And I think that's really fascinating in terms of the connection he feels, and both Adam feels, to Caveswater beyond the, the borders of Caveswater. Yeah. Yeah. To the whatever it is underneath the outward appearance of forest. Hmm. It's really interesting the way that Ronan is like, I will just remake this. And he's willing to give himself that time. And I love that he has finally named Orphan Girl. She's called Opal. There's a line in there that makes me laugh every time where she like, instead of coming when he calls her, she like does these frantic circles around him. So it doesn't look like she's been obedient because she would do almost anything to avoid being seen as obedient. And I'm like, oh, you are so Ronan. This is what you get when you make a psychopomp out of your own dream stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the, the promise of what, the next iteration of Cabe's Water can be is a really beautiful thing. And I like that we've, I like that we end on this like hopeful, there will be more adventures, there will be more. Like the ley line has more in store for them. Yeah, because Opal also finds the wheel, right? And Rona's like, oh, that didn't yeah. happen. So that's an adventure that's still coming and he's going to dream up this thing. And it's that real promise of more, the promise of the future, I think, that ends the, the whole thing really hopefully. Because the connection yeah. is still there, though, as well. Like, it's a really strong connection between all of them. Mm. It's a beautiful connection between all of them. I think the other connection I really love is the Adam and Persephone connection, that she is able to sort of find him in his worst and most vulnerable moments and remind him that he is actually perfectly capable of discerning the difference between the demon and Capeswater. But I think that that is linked so inextricably to Adam's entire life. He's always going to be fighting back against this idea of like the terrible person that he could be and the good person that he wants to be. And he's always going to have to remind himself and keep that like in check. Right. And, and remind himself that there is a way to do things that are mm -hmm. not like you can't just fall into it and it might look like you fell into it and that you're helpless to it, but actually you can tell and you have to work on that and as soon as you can tell you can pull yourself back yeah yeah it's very important um yeah it's very relatable as well i think just that whole element of really having to be aware of who you yeah. are and what your promises are and what you owe to who like i think that's the thing like you could very easily fall into this whole thing like i'm ruined this demon has taken control of me all these things but it's like you don't owe that demon anything like that is not not your destiny that is not the bargain yeah, you made and you are ultimately in control of and that. i like that it was noted that persephone wasn't a particularly comforting person but she was just very i don't know calm aware sensible wise like the thing that adam doesn't need is pity or comfort he needs somebody who will help him find the solution or help him just see the way to a solution and that's why they worked mm. so well together I, was am i misremembering this or am i thinking that yeah. Or am I remembering this correctly? Didn't the women of 300 Fucks Away think that Adam might be a third to them at one point? Yeah, they did consider that, yeah. Okay. I love the idea of shared history as a promise, like a promise we make to each other because that is what trust is made on. So like that line when 
you know, when Adam wants them to untie him. Yeah. On page 413, you know, Gansey said, is it safe? And Adam says, safe is life, which is this callback to this yeah. thing that they had, this shared moment. And I think that is a real promise to each other when we invoke these memories and these commitments we've made and these connections between us. Yeah. And it is, a, I really love that phrase because they're all in mortal peril at that point. So, like, Adam has mm-hmm. a point. It's really as safe as life, which is not very safe at all because no one comes out of it alive. Yeah, it's a beautiful callback. I find their goodbye really touching because it was just a fist bump and, like, both of them realized how stupid Mm. and inadequate it was. But they're not huggers, so that's what they do. And Ronan is, like, passed out, trying not to be unmade, so he can't even say goodbye. This is terrible. And Blue's last words to Gansey are, I hate this, (laughs) you know? (laughs) like yeah. Like, this is just a, a time and place of raw emotion. There's no time for, like, promises. I mean, he does promise or something. He says it'll be okay. And then he says, I'm ready. And I don't know if those count as promises, but they feel like it, you know? I think it's also interesting that Henry's reaction to it is to really, like, call upon the promise of magic. He's like, what is the point of all of this yeah. if not to be used in this environment? He's like, you are the magician, so do something. Like, you can't wrap his head around it is like well magic makes a promise to us all right like so it has to be used like you've just done mm-hmm. this thing and he's pulled things out of his dream and this one was you doing that with like, your mouth blue. he can't yeah. yeah he's like you you gotta what is the point like there's a promise here that we will be able to find our way out because yeah of this. yeah i love that henry is basically the engine right so if you had just the gangsy and not henry as well they would like gansy would still be dead because Henry is the one who is like, wait a second, this is not right. And he's the one who pushes and says, well, how did it work before? What happened before? Make it make it make sense to me. And that gets them out of the horrible grief long enough to be like, well, well, if this is the mechanism, if we need another sacrifice, then who or what can be the sacrifice? And it's Adam who actually volunteers, like, well, maybe it could be Caveswater, which you know is more of a sacrifice to Adam now than it was for him to say, I will be your eyes and I will be your hands. Like, to give up that yeah. connection is a hard, hard offering. Like, that's rough for him. Because it has saved him and, and grown him as a person. Yeah. I I keep thinking about athletics, like, in the way that some kids, you put them into a sports team and they just hate it and they flail. Some kids, you put them into a sports team and they just really, like, accept it as a challenge and they work really hard for it. And, like, it's good for them because they're working towards something. And I feel like Adam was that. Like, he was so good at other things, but Caveswater made him actually, like, work for it. Not just in a drudging sense, but in, like, a figuring out, testing your own limits, upping your personal bests. It was really, really, like, an intimate connection that he had with Caveswater, but also with himself through the lens of learning how to be the eyes and hands for this magical forest. Yeah. Something just occurred to me then as well. It's like, this is Caveswater is so important to his connection to Ronan, yeah. right? And he had that whole existential crisis earlier in this book where he's like, oh, if I made this promise to Caveswater, did I make this promise to Ronan? Like, what is yeah. the relationship between them? So in this moment that he's sacrificing Caveswater, he's offering that as a sacrifice, he doesn't know how that will affect his relationship yeah. with Ronan. So he's really sacrificing that the as well. The potential of something. Yeah. Oh. 
And this is, he couldn't stand the thought of anything happening to Roman. Ronan at the start of the section. He had to go, yeah, like... he yeeted his brain. Delve. <laughs> yeah, he's like, nah. And I love that. I love the promise of escape as a means of getting through things. I feel like Adam's used this his entire life, being like, I cannot cope with the reality, so therefore I must escape. And even Blue, right? Like, she dreams of far-off places. Gansey was always running away. Like, the, this... We promise ourselves that if something is bad or hard right now, that we can do something else in the future. We can mm-hmm. go somewhere mm-hmm. else. But the truth is, you take yourself with you, so you got to fix that first. Um, There's a bit of promise that sort of leads into the series. I know we're not diving into that immediately. I feel like that's a, we will probably tackle the Dreamer trilogy someday. Like, it's on our list for sure, but we haven't got concrete plans at this point. But there's that interesting moment, and you already talked about it, where Adam was like, this struck him as a blue or Gansey impulse to save all of the other Adams hidden in plain sight. And then he mm-hmm, had that spark mm-hmm. of like, oh, because I saved myself. And I, A, disagree. I think that having community and people who are willing to go to bat for him saved him. Like, even if it was just being so frustrated by having to turn Gansey down that made him seek out other avenues of help, that still is part of that. Mm-hmm. But also Ronan 100% like got him the room there at St. Agnes and like, helped cover his rent a bit and like like he did not do it alone he did not he had support he had people who took him to the hospital and cared for him he didn't save himself he did have the courage to not go back which is a big deal but it wasn't all his own so i think the promise that we see there is that we find in the next book of the first book of the dream trilogy that he has turned himself into like a gansey-esque figure but he had to create a mythology to do it he's not doing it from a place of honesty with himself which i think is really interesting and that's where I think you really see that little spark come through of of him yeah. wanting to be like Gansey or Blue, but still not thinking he can do it as himself. Yeah, and it's so interesting because it's the promise of the future not delivering. And I think that's what the Dreamer trilogy is really mm-hmm. about. It's about, you know, those sort of things not coming full circle. And I think you see the setup for that already, like you just said, in Adam's arc, but also in yeah. Ronan's arc. You're like the fact that the demon describes him as a dreamer but he's never seen a dreamer like him yeah. like he's a king in his own making and even that bit where he said Cape's water was just what is it it's a line that i really marked out because i'm like man this really sets it up where it said Cape's water was not a forest Cape's water was a thing that happened to look like a forest right now and i'm like mm-hmm. tell me more yep. tell me more about yes, that it looks like a forest right now it will be back it will look like a forest again but that's because Rodan loves forests and light bless oh, him so much light I also love the chaotic image. This is just unrelated, but like the chaotic image of him passing out, grabbing light filled dream stuff, and then like it just piling up and drifts next to the car. (laughs) Like it's so funny to think like it's just like the junk lady in the labyrinth, like carrying around all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Except it's tragic, but it's funny. It kind of reminded me of the, what is it, the Gemini curse in the last Harry Potter book? How when they're in the vault, oh, yeah, things keep just keep doubling. popping up yeah. and popping up. Yeah. It's exactly what it's like. It's just like, blah, stuff, dream stuff. Um, and this is the first appearance of the Nightwash as well, because Ronan has it, but also so yeah. does Opal, which is... Yeah, and presumably also um, Matthew, mm. right? Which is why Declan's calling, because he's like, what is going on? Um, okay, I'm going to be feral about Noah forever. Uh, Mm -hmm. Noah's entire arc here that the last we get of Noah is that he is decaying and he has to hold on long enough to save Gansey the first time as his last act and he keeps Gansey alive by telling him 
this thing. And Gansey never knows that it was Noah. He never figures out who saved him. He doesn't know who sent him on this quest to find Glendower. But it was Noah. And the first time I read it, I was I was a mess because I love Noah. But I just, I love that he saves him. And then I love that the last thing he says is goodbye. Don't throw it away. And this is back in the first book when Gansey says, I won't. That's him saying goodbye to Noah, but he doesn't realize it because Noah's time flows differently because he's favored by the ley line. So he's spread out across all moments of his life. Yeah. And the promise of that, right? The promise of his sacrifice that really makes all of this possible. I just love that they love their friends so much. And as he gets further and further in the series, he becomes less and less of himself. But he was there to be loved by them and they still love him even though they don't get to keep him you know what i mean yeah Noah's also really interesting because he talks about not knowing if he remembered something if he actually remembers the event or he only remembers seeing it happen like that is really a fascinating concept the idea that you don't hold a core memory But it's only through seeing it again and again. It's like when you watch home videos, right? You were too young maybe to remember that thing happening. But because you've seen the video so many times, you're like... You picture it from the camera, not from yourself. I want to talk about Robert Parrish. Yes, please. I want to talk to about Adam's connection Mm -hmm. with his past and with his father. And like the promise of letting go. But also a little bit about how the shape of Robert Parrish, like particularly the line on page 428. It says the shape of the furrow between them was precisely the shape of the continued difference between what life was supposed to be and what life actually was like. So it talks about the way that Robert frowns, yeah. right? Great description because I think he has that real hard done by sort of everyone is my enemy attitude because it's the difference between the life that you were promised and the life that you are given. Yeah. Like the life he has to lead. He's got that real chip on his shoulder and he takes it out on Adam. He takes it out on his wife. It's that real like he probably is the kind of man who would vote Republican because the immigrants are the ones that are keeping him mm. down. You know, that sort of kind of real, I don't know, hard done by sort of attitude because your life is not what you were promised. It's not the given land that as a, you know, white man, maybe you expect yeah. in life. Yeah. The, the idea of m- most Americans have the idea that they're temporarily embarrassed wealthy people. And Mm. the truth is that more Americans are closer to homelessness than they are to being financially stable. Um, But it's a cultural thing to think that, like, well, I should be able to do this because that's what happens. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you work hard and you get these things. But, like, actually, it is not about how hard you work. There are a lot of structures in place that keep poverty, people in poverty. There are lots of structures that make it impossible for people to ever rise above their class and that is just a fact. It, it's, a, it's a neutral mm. fact. So the fact that people mm-hmm. still believe that they should have had better and they can't think about it as like a structural thing. They have to think about it as like, oh, I've been oppressed by this particular group or this particular person or like they have to look for somebody to blame because otherwise they have to blame either themselves, which is untenable, or the system, which is really not fixable. But if they can say, oh, well, rich people are doing this, then that's comfortable, right? It yeah. gives them an other. 
And I love that Adam then goes on to say, you know, he was not Robert, but he could have been. And he forgave past Adam for being afraid of that possibility. Mm. Like, this is such a moment of emancipation for Adam. It really is. It's his, it's his, like, farewell to the person that he might have become if he had stayed. And to be able to see, you know, to go in there with no fear. It's kind of how Ronan talks about facing his nightmares. Mm. You have to see the fear and just, like, dismantle yeah. it. And he's not even afraid of his dad anymore he looks at him and he sees that he would no more like you know hit him than he would hit his boss like yeah adam is other now yeah he's no longer um subduable the thorn in that palm did so much for the two of their like the, the <laughs> like i love that cape sweater defended adam in that way just enough magic and just enough weirdness to really make his dad go hang on a second what um and i love that adam is just not bothered by any of his dad's insults he's just not he's like yes i am driving a bmw yes it is my boyfriend's bmw yes i'm wearing nice clothes like deal okay. with it that's interesting because i read that and i'm like does does he know that ronan and adam are together or is this meant to be a dig you know how like when because if ronan came to save adam in that first book and he would be like well oh, your boyfriend came to save you you know like as a dig being like oh the way that is used as a slur especially against men yeah you know, in close relationships and stuff. Or is that a dig at Adam to be like, oh, you're driving your boyfriend's Beamer? Or does he actually know that they're together? I think that it's a dig, and I think that Adam just doesn't care because it's true, and it doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. He's just like, meh. He's like, this is so yeah. far down the list of things that could insult me, possibly. Like, yeah. of course everyone wants Ronan as their boyfriend. He's cool AF. Yeah. He is amazing. You know I love oh. him. Love my boy. And I love that Adam describes in that Ronan was just bravado so much of ronan yeah. was bravado you know <laughs> and there was so little left that it was just all like raw emotion and feelings no wonder he yeeted himself out of his own brain i would too far out it's been the kind of week that i wish i could eat my own brain out of my brain to be honest yeah fair just enough. get rid of it no thoughts head empty be the orange cat that i dream of being i also love that adam gets real sharp when, in his grief like he's not crying but he's you know he's obviously devastated and then when Henry starts off with his like <laughs> ideas Adam just gets so sharp with him and he's like are you offering to be the sacrifice and Blue says you know she understood his anger any degree of hope was impossible to bear yeah, in this situation yeah absolutely I that's not an Adam line that's a Ronan line which is why it's so funny because I, I always double like mm. double take like oh Adam says that that's Adam being that upset at Henry Adam is a very polite person and uh, he's really not there. And, and Ronan is the one who like loses it and cries and just can't do anything else. Which makes sense. I think like that lines up. Ronan is a very emotional man. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to cry. It's okay. It's okay to have a cry. But this is also his worst nightmare. He said, you know, I can't see Gansey's body. I can't do that. And now he wakes up from where he was basically impotent, mm. just lying there, couldn't do anything, didn't get to say goodbye. He comes back to himself. Gansey's dead. 10 out yep. of 10. Great time for everyone. Let's just ruin Ronan Lynch's life. Let's, that's, I think the entire premise of the book is how much of this guy's life can we ruin and have him still be like well-adjusted? Well, is he well-adjusted? I don't no, think so. No, but he has Adam who is like... <laughs> Not exactly well-adjusted either, but the two of them balance each other's nonsense out, I would say. Yeah. I think there's something about how, um, when Adam notes how compressed their lives were, I was thinking about this. And I think when you're in an environment with people that you love, it's not as annoying as if when you're in a, 
an environment with people who are actively abusing you, like Adam with his parents. And that compression is probably what lends itself to that that feeling of misery. Because, like, I don't think a big house is necessarily a happier house, but when you're in a small space with somebody who really hates you and then somebody who is, like, has to choose and they don't choose you, that can that's going to make it mm. feel even worse. And that's going to feel more oppressive. It's going to feel inescapable. So I thought that was a really interesting connection, that it wasn't actually about how small the house was. Although there is something to be said for, like, how big the barns are, and you could just go and hang out in a barn if you want to be by yourself. Like, there's room to go and be who you are. But do you think that Adam would ever do that? Do you think if he's staying with Ronan all summer, he's going to care about being in a different room than Ronan? I don't think he would. No, I don't think he would either. But I do find it interesting that Ronan goes to the roof to dream as well. Like, he needs the expansiveness Mm. of it. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I... I think they very happily occupy different spaces. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't, they don't, I don't get the vibe from them that they would, Adam would need to be in Ronan's space all the time, but I also don't think he's resentful of it. It's not like he doesn't, because as you said, it's about the animosity. Yeah. They could parallel play. Yeah. People that you could hang out with, but you don't have to interact with are like the top level of people. Or even just being in separate rooms and having a great time. Like, I know so many couples who have separate bedrooms because they just love having their own spaces. And I was like, this is actually great. 10 out of 10. Well, I think that the reason my husband and I work so well is because he has a study of his own and I generally have a study of my own. We just, at the moment, it doesn't work out that way. But, because you need a place to go. And, like, for teenagers, it can be the bedroom. Not that my kids ever use their Mm. bedrooms. They're always in the living room or in my room for some reason. But, yeah, I think, yeah, if you have your own space to go to, then it means that when you go into the shared space, it's nice. It's like a place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. Oh, yeah. I kind of love that. I love that Adam has... I I love that Adam goes back and sees how small his life was and how small it could have been. Yeah, and I also love that he's driving there from the barn. Mm. So he's spending his time there. It's this new place that he was thinking, you know, this could be my home. I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. yes, it could. You could live somewhere like this. You will. Do not worry about it. It's all going to work out. Please just keep hoping and And making that work, yeah. I love Adam and Roman so much. I can't actually think about it too much because it makes me feel a bit sick. (laughs) I'm with you. I am with you. Um, Also, I thought another promise that I caught was the promise of three. At the very end, when mm. they were hand swinging, going to get Ronan's gift, which turns out to be the engineless pig, um, on page four thirty four, it was better with three. Three, Persephone had always said, was the strongest number, and it is three. It's like Henry and Lou and Gansey, and I love that because you know that Ronan and Adam are on completely different paths to these to these three. And Gansey was always going to be the kind of person who would go off and do a degree. And be really smart about it. And Henry is just too smart not to do it. And and Blue wants to do it. She just hasn't been able to figure it out. So I love that they're actually going on this adventure together. And then they're going to fall into college. And they're going to do that together. And I love that it's not just Blue and Gansey. But that Henry has joined them too. There's something really great about it. I love that Ronan gives them this gift. And that Blue weasels it out of him (laughs) that it is a car. And Gansey's like, how do you know this? And and I love that when... You know, Gansy makes that remark that Blue's smile is really big and Ronan was going to be really sad that he missed it, but he gets why he didn't want to come. And I'm just like, man, it's just so lovely. It's so lovely on so many levels. And I just, yeah, it makes me feel a lot of feelings. Yeah. This is a perfect series. I love that. Yeah. And I love that Gansy also has that moment where he talks about he never understood, oh, what is it? Page 414. 
Genzi never under really Genzi had never understood really what it meant for Ronan to have to live with his nightmares. He understood it now. And then he also had that realization in the previous section where he's like he never understood Adam's like aversion to pity until now. Yeah. And I love that here at the end of everything, what we think is the end of Ganzi's life, right? Like he has these moments where he really truly deeply understands Adam and Ronan in a way that he's really struggled yeah. to. Oh, it hurts. I love that connection. Yeah, it does hurt. <laughs> Um, I have, I think that's all I have. I think we've talked about everything. I do have some tangential. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, Okay, so I love Henry with my whole heart. And I really feel this. This is me as well. So on page 413, Henry had been waiting for something to do. He clearly did not know how to process this without having a task. So he leapt to untie Adam. Same, bro. I also mm -hmm. need to do something in a crisis. Um, and then, uh, you know, we already talked about this, but when he says, I just don't understand. I was so sure that this was going to change everything. I didn't think it would end like this. I love that he's calling them out. And I also said, love that he says then, what's the point of magic if not for this? You said you were Gansey's magicians. Do something. And then mm. at the very end, he's back to classic Henry. And he says, it seems sentimental for a man without a soul. When he's talking about <laughs> Ronan giving uh, Blue a car that matches um, Gansey's. So great. It is so great. I love that. I had that as well. And I also love that on page 413, that same page where he has the uh, leapt to untie the hands thing. You know, Blue is horrified that she, you know, Gansey wants to die. And um, Gansey said she was a hopeful creature, but she was also a sensible creature. Yeah. Like, I love that callback to her sensibility. Um, I love that Adam says on page 431, what he truly wanted was to be left alone with his own devices, not yes. by his actual father, who could no longer truly intrude on Adam's life, but by the idea of his father, a more powerful thing in every way. Yes. That is so powerful. And I think it calls back again to Ronan's response to his nightmares. It's like the idea of fear. And Gansey and the bee and Henry and the, the hole. Yeah. Like the idea of what we fear is way bigger than the fear itself. Absolutely. It's being afraid of dementors. Also, I just... The audacity of that man, Robert Parrish, when he's like, "I, you've grown up into someone I don't like very much, and I'm not afraid to say it. How about you get in the sea and then stay there? <laughs> like, I love you. It anyway, is the worst. Um, and I think I cannot imagine saying that to either one of my children at any point because I like them so much as people. Like, how do you have a mm. kid? I look. I don't know. If you're not gonna like, at least give your 110 percent effort to trying to meet your kids where they're at and like them for who they are then what are you even doing as a parent? Like, if you can't do that, don't do that. Yeah. People deserve to have parents who are, like, 100% on their side. Well, this is the thing. You should never have been a parent. No, absolutely. Neither of them should have. No. The parishes. Um, the only other thing I had for Tangential is I just love the description of Cabe's Water on page 425, mm. um, where it says, you know, when all times were the same, resurrection was merely a matter of moving consciousness from one minute to another. Living forever was not difficult for Cape's Water to imagine. Reanimating a human body with a finite timeline was. I think that's really interesting because we can play with the idea that what if Cape's Water messed that up and Gansey just lives forever and everyone he loves dies. Like, that yeah. is a possibility. I also think that that works out well, though, because Blue is half tree and the tree people don't really die either. I mean, they do, but not... They just live forever, yeah. yeah. But I also just love, like, resurrection was merely a matter of moving consciousness from one minute to another. That is really beautiful, and I kind of want it at, like, my eulogy. My one day when I die. I just love it so beautifully. Because <laughs> death is a promise that's made for us all at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. nobody survives life. 
safe as life. After I've been to a few funerals this year, and after the second funeral I went to this year, I was like, I need to pick my funeral song, and so I picked it. And now every time I listen to it, I weep. But it's a really good Aww. funeral song, <laughs> so I feel like I've nailed it. So I just have to write it down somewhere so that everybody who loves me knows that's the one that they should play. I want "Sitting on the Dock of the Bay" by Otis Redding. Oh, that's lovely. I picked "Sarah" by Fleetwood Mac. It's one of my mm. favorite songs. Yeah. And it's six minutes long, which gives people time to like do whatever they do at funerals. I've seen different things but leave and get drunk probably i want everyone to get wasted and then start a fight yes do you want me to pick a fight at your funeral if i'm there yes please yes please. Okay. cause drama i will honor you by causing the biggest drama i possibly can <laughs> i love it i'm gonna put it in my will jen must cause drama i would do that for you because i love you no oh, thank you all right uh well, i think that was it oh well is that it no oh, i love that Gansey tells Henry he's a prince among men because that's something that I've said for a long time. And when I saw that in the book, I went, that's my phrase. It made me so happy to see Gansey, a.k.a. me, in boy form, say that. Um, and then I love that Blue was already tired of a timeline without Gansey in it. And it had been like a minute. <laughs> so like, yeah. I texted my husband. I'm like, I know you've only been gone on your trip for a day, but like, can you come home? I'm bored and I want to send you memes while you're sitting right next to me so you can laugh. And I know that it was me making you laugh. Like, can you just come back? <sighs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm glad he's having a good time, but I'm like, <sighs> you're missing all the memes. Cute. I'm pretty tragic. Um, did you have any other tangential? No, that's all of mine. All right. Should we move on to in-depth? Yeah, we should. What, do you want to go first? What was your end? Sure. Okay. So mine is Adam. Uh, when he is talking to his parents and he like has sort of had this conversation and he's about to leave. But on page 433, he waited just a moment longer, giving them the opportunity to fill the space to exceed expectation. They did not. Adam had set the bar at precisely the height they could jump and no higher. So this connection that Adam has to his parents, I find, is really fascinating. And we've talked about it a lot, um, but I'll go over it again. So on page 428, Adam was not Robert, but he could have been, and he forgave past Adam for being afraid of the possibility. Like, Adam's entire life had been bound up in the sphere of his father, of, like, becoming his father or being subject to the violence of his father. And he notes in this section that his mother has her own set of armor like she just immediately avoids it but she also has this, these little barbs that she uses to poke at adam to make sure that he can't get close to her so she never has to take sides right like she just makes sure that everybody is on their own in this mm. so adam is not looking for a promise that they'll change he doesn't expect them to he's asking if it's possible and i think that this is interesting because it's not a bid it's like a resolution for him he puts it on the table he offers it but he's not like upset or sad or like even surprised he's just like okay that's what it is like i expected this and this is fine like he doesn't have any um like hopes tied to it which is not something i am capable of doing <laughs> i'm always hopeful um and this really strongly reminded me of a difficult decision i had to make in my own life so after my son was born i was really in the weeds with my postnatal depression like I wasn't calling it that, but I was really struggling. And it took me probably three years to actually figure out what was going on and, like, seek help. Um, but it was my mom's birthday, so I called her. And then she just spent an hour talking over me and telling me that I had been a really bad teenager. And 
that I had been like the worst kid and how stressed out she had always been. And I was like really trying to make this conversation civil and I didn't want to be angry because it was her birthday and I was calling her. And so it was just exhausting. Like it was exhausting. And afterward I was like completely shattered and I just sort of sat down on the rug and like looked after my kids until my partner was able to take over. Um, but like, you know, you hang up and you realize, okay, I just paid all this money to, to phone my mother internationally for her to basically spend the entire time making me feel like garbage. Um, and then I couldn't do anything. Like I had stuff I needed to do that day and the next day. And I was still so shattered. I couldn't do it. Mm. And I had always been told that like family is the most important thing and you got to put family first. And here I was sitting on the floor looking at my two beautiful babies thinking, I can't do this anymore. And like, how could I continue this relationship with my mother? I had always been told that family is the most important thing, but like she, she's making it hard for me to be a parent because I just can't mm. like emotionally be there for my kids. And the answer is that I couldn't. I couldn't continue that relationship. I, I, I could not say anything to my mom to get her to stop hurting me accidentally or on purpose. She needed to be right and she needed to be listened to. And my feelings are always going to be irrelevant to that process. And that's fine. Like, it is fine. Because I picked my kids. Like, that's what mm. I did. I just, I chose to look forward to what it meant to be a good parent for them. I had to let go of the idea of my mom being somebody that I would ever have that kind of relationship with. Um, and, and that was okay. I mean, it was really hard at the time because I had this tension between, I promise that family has to come first, but also the person who had taught me that was not putting me first and not even trying to. Um, so like breaking that promise, but putting it in a different direction is kind of what what worked out for me um and look I, I i just stopped i did a no contact for a while and things are better like i i took a lot of time out i took some time to heal i have a great therapist uh one of my therapists gave me permission to stop talking to my family which is exactly what i needed like i needed a grown-up that i respected to mm. say hey you don't have to call you don't have to be on facebook like you can just not really yeah really um I got a lot better at not taking things personally. I still talk to my sisters. I never stopped talking to my sisters. Um, but I took a lot of time to really grieve the relationship that I would never have with my parents. And I think, you know, even though I really wanted to have it, I, you know, I still, in some ways, I think I'll always want to have that relationship with my parents. I'm just not going to. That, But that's not because I don't want it or wouldn't work at it. It's because that no matter how hard I reach, they won't reach back in the way that I need. And that's okay. It had to be okay. But, um... Yeah, it just made me think of that, the way that Adam is like, okay, my expectations have been set and I have I have offered, but I don't need to be disappointed. And that's how I, I, mm. I feel about that way too. So going forward, I think it's okay to break a promise sometimes. I think there are connections that you have to sever in order to regrow them in a healthier way. I think it's really okay to set a boundary and to learn how to live with what you've been given. But um, it's, it's going to hurt and it's okay to take time to deal with that too. Hmm. So interesting that you have chosen that section because I have also picked from that <laughs> section. Literally, it's a hard one. The page before yours, so page four thirty-two, and it dovetails quite nicely with what you've just been talking about. Okay, perfect. I'm just going to read the whole thing because I think it's so moving. So it's on page four thirty-two. 
She lifted her head and the light through the window made a perfect square of light on her glasses. And just like that, Adam's thoughts flashed a long time, his logic following the same channels his psychic senses used. He could see himself knocking, knocking, her standing on the other side of the door, not answering. He could see himself knocking, her standing around the back of the trailer, holding her breath until he was gone. He could see himself calling and the phone ringing as she held it in her hands. But he could also see her opening the college brochure. He could see her clipping his name out of a newspaper, putting a photo of him in a smart jacket and nice pants and easy smile on the fridge. At some point she had released him and she didn't want him back. She just wanted to see what happens. So as you've just mentioned, it's the whole conversation that Adam's having. That is the context. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the connection, I think, because it's this thing that you were just talking about, the connection between families, right? And this thing that we get told is so important. Like you can't choose your friends. You can't choose your family, but it's so important. Like, blood is thicker than water, and it doesn't matter what happens. You're always connected to your family. You can't outrun your family. Even if you don't see them for generations or decades mm. or whatever, they're still your family, and there's no escaping that. Like, there's deep connection there. It's BS. That's <laughs> what it is. Yeah, and, like, I think there's a promise in that as well. Like, this promise for Adam where it's, like, this is in my blood in a way. Like, this is who I who I can turn into. Like, there's it's almost a promise yeah. as a threat. Like... This, yeah. you know when you you know i feel like that's the kind of like i'll give you something to cry about promise that sort of <laughs> yeah hangs yeah. over it. it's like the promise oh. of his dna that he's a bit afraid of um yeah, the time bomb it really really moved me this time because i feel like i've been through something very similar like a couple of weeks ago i went to visit my family in south africa for the first time in 11 years my mum's fired of the family and I found it incredibly, incredibly difficult for very various reasons that I will not get into. Just they're complicated people with complicated lives. And our lives are so vastly different that there's very little that we can connect on yeah. based on our common experiences. We have very different experiences of life, right? In the yeah. same way that Adam now has a different experience, like his schooling, this magical experience that he's had. His dad cannot connect with him on that. His mum cannot connect with him on that. And their lives will continue to branch further and further apart as they grow yeah. because there's just no commonality there between what they want and how they live. And I really, really felt that with my my family as well. And the thing I really struggled with at one point, my uncle was just like, I just don't know what you're into. And I just sat there and I was like, you could ask. You have not asked me a <laughs> single question about my life. It's and the one time... Out. One time I tried to talk about my experience and the things that I had been through or seen, like, one time, I was basically just dismissed, although I was talked over and people would just talk about their own lives, like, very defensive about their lives. So the point that I don't felt, I didn't feel like I could say anything about my life because it would be somehow be seen as a slight on theirs, even though that's not, that's not what it is. It's just we have different lives, right? And I'm yeah. not judging mm -hmm. them, but I couldn't talk about my life at all. And yet they still wanted to connect with me. And so, like, I've gotten loads of messages since I've been back being like, we already miss you and we can't wait for you to come back and don't leave it for another decade. And I just feel like, why? <laughs> I don't feel like you enjoyed me being there. I don't feel yeah. like you connected with me. I don't. Why do you think you missed me? Why do you think you care about me? Like, what is it? What is it that compels you to say this? Like, I that's not how I f that's not how you made me feel when I was in your presence so why mm. now that I'm not there are you saying this to me and I feel like reading this section it really just struck me and it's like that bit where it's like 
at some point she had released him and she didn't want him back. She just wanted to see what happened. I feel like they just want to see what happened. They want to cut me out and put me on a fridge. And I don't know if I want that. Because for me, that is not what is important to me. I want to connect to the people I love. And I, I'm not saying I don't love them. I do love my family. But I find it really, really difficult. And I think going forward, it's I want to remind myself that I don't have to make myself small for other people just because they're family. Like, I don't have to minimize myself mm. to appease other people. And it's okay to have boundaries. And just like you said, like in your story, sometimes you have to have that hard think about what is this costing me? And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm the cutout on the fridge too for a lot of people. And that's okay. I've had to come to terms with that. I know that people love me or love an idea of me and that's all right. It's just not what I want. So it's that's where the disconnect is hard, right? Yeah. Like it's you like I don't be seen and known. You want to be Gansey <laughs> being known for being a hiker, not for having nice hair. I don't mind if they want to put me on the fridge, but I feel like they should put me on the fridge for the right reasons. Like you need to understand who yeah. I am as a person. You've just You've made an assumption and you don't you, you don't care enough to get to know the real me. It's the Gansey thing, you're right. Yeah. Mm. Like, you need to dig a little deeper. Yeah, there's, like, the gen that people see and then there's the gen that people know. And they're different gens. And that's and okay. Like, 99% of the time, I really do not care. Like, I'm like Ronan. <laughs> I do not try to be liked. I don't care. I actively make it my business to make other people uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but it's weird when people are then... Are they needy in return off the back of that? I'm like, well, yeah. choose. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's frustrating. And I'm sorry that they were like that because you're amazing. And if they took a minute to listen to you, they would know how amazing you are. It's not like they weren't mean or anything. It wasn't like toxic. Like it wasn't combative or anything. It was just like there was no oxygen for me to yeah. be okay. who I am or to be a person or even be a real functioning They're person. They're around each other Jeff. all the time, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very yeah. insular, very like, claustrophobic. <laughs> I was say, this sounds like when you walk into a friend group that's known each other for 10 years and you're trying to like make Get a conversation word with one of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was just very strange and I really, really struggled with it. But, yeah, so I found this chapter very moving. You'll have to take me along next time so I can be your like, we can do eyeballs <laughs> at each other when people are being a bit ridiculous. <laughs> be great. Everyone either loves me or hates me, so I'll be a great foil in either way. I don't know who would hate you. Madness. Oh, I'm probably pretty annoying. No. Uh, who did you want to spotlight for this section? I'm going to spotlight Henry because I feel like he is really out of his depth. He's standing there. He's a newcomer to all of this. He's taken it in a stride, but this is wild. Like he's watching Ronan convulsing. There's blood, flowers, things everywhere. Just watched a child <laughs> ride, murder someone with a kiss. It's just a lot for him to deal with in a very short amount of time. And, like, mm -hmm. you know, you've already raised that wonderful bit where he's like, he jumped at the chance to do something because he's so out <laughs> of his depth. And he kind of yeah. just has to stand back until he can't anymore. And he's like, but this doesn't make sense. So I just wanted to give Henry the spotlight because I think he deserves it. Well done, Henry. How about you? Uh, for this section, I'm going to spotlight Noah because... Hmm the idea of hanging in there just to make sure that you do everything right to save your one friend is beautiful and noble and the way that he talks about how upset he was that he was murdered that he wasn't sure if he and Welk were that kind of friend but that he does hang on to be that kind of friend for Gansey and I just love him I love that he was Blue's first kiss as well which is something that everyone forgets but I didn't forget I was like yeah. Blue's gonna be a good kisser for Gansey because she made out with Noah one time and that is great <laughs> 
um, I don't know. There's just something really beautiful about his arc and the fact that he slides out of time at the end. Like he just lets go. He's done. It's his time now. And he lets go. It's like, oh, I can't deal with it. I love it so much. So yeah, Noah. Lovely. Love that. All right. Shall we wrap up the whole book? I guess we have to. I know. I don't really want to either, but it is over. Um, Mm. Do you have any reflections on the theme of connection? I think the thing that really just stands out to me, and I think especially in this book, it does such a great job to show how the connection between all of them is so vital. Them as a whole, like each character, like as a group, but also each character to each other. Like Ganzi needs his connection to every single one of them. Blue need, like they all need each other so much. Yeah. And what they've learned from each other and how much they've grown and the journey they've been on. And they all needed to do that. The tr- they needed the trust in each other to get to the point where they are now. And if they hadn't had that trust, they couldn't have this connection with Caveswater that essentially yeah. brings Gansey back to life. That makes yes. Gansey the way that he is. Like It's so intrinsic the way they're connected to each other. It is really beautiful. I love how much connection there is through intention as well Mm. like the fact that they keep going back to caveswater to solve this problem they keep going to find glendower because this is the quest that they've been put on but all of the intention that's very like the series feels like intention and connection are the two massive Mm. themes Mm. Mm -hmm. and i do remember steve butter saying that she'd put on a post-it that the worst thing that could happen to all of them is they that they stop being friends and you really feel that in this book, their friendship is actually the most important thing. Like this little community that they have made, this connection that they have with each other, it does take precedence. Like Gansey doesn't want to die, but he'll do it if it saves his friends, you know? Yeah. There's something really beautiful about that. Um, and I spoke about this a little bit already, but I like that Ronan's connection to, or I'm sorry, Adam's connection to Caveswater is mirrored with Adam's connection to Gansey. Like that goodness that is there and like the the demon is also Adam's father. So, like, when he's corrupted, when he feels corrupted, um, he isn't actually. He has a choice. Um, but, like, there are moments when Adam's, the demon in Adam's life threatened to destroy his relationship to Gansey, and there are moments when the demon was destroying Caveswater. And, like, Ronan is always the link between those two things, and he's always full of light. Yeah, I think that's such a great point that you made there. And I think Ronan also his connection to his family is really what holds him together. Both his blood family, even though he has a complicated relationship with Declan, like but it's Declan and Matthew that really keep him hanging on in so many ways. And then it is yeah, Gansey and his found family as well. Like he is such a clannish person. Yeah. And that really connection is. is so vital to like make him human. Yeah. All of the things that they give that when they're all working with Caveswater to save Gansey or to refashion him, all of those things that make Gansey Gansey are from from them. Mm. Like they are connected. They are inextricably linked. Yeah, and that's I love beautiful, it. beautiful. Oh, so good. Okay, well, I know it's hard to choose, but did you have a whole book best of marginalia? I did. It's Henry's phrase. Henry saying on page two ten, "If you cannot be unafraid, be afraid and happy." Mm, what a great way to live your life. I just want to tattoo that on the inside of my eyelids. Mm. I Like, you just have to do what you can. And, like, everything will be terrible, but you can still be happy. You mm. can still find that somewhere. Well, do you have a favorite whole book marginalia? I do. Mine's from very early on in this book, and it's when Blue is with all the women at 300 Fox Way, and they're all in the bath. And... You know, the line goes, but the difference between a nice house and a nice prison is really small. We chose Foxway. We made it. Cala, Persephone and I, 
but it's only your origin story not your final destination i think it's so important because choice is so important and we need to be able to make our own choices which is ultimately what adam always wanted to do as well he just wants to make his own choices autonomy the most important thing for adam for sure well who do we want to spotlight for the entire book i really 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 want to spotlight adam I feel like I've gone on such a journey with Adam throughout this yes. series. And really in this book, he's really come into his own in a way that I just really admire him. He's done such hard things. He's really leaned yes. into making himself not not like a better person, but to like overcome his challenges and to he makes a conscious effort. And I think it's easy for some people to be nice. Like Gansey, you know, for some people, I feel like Gansey, he's just that politeness. It's ingrained in him. But for someone Mm -hmm. like Adam, he really has to fight against that base nature that he has to burn everything to the ground and just destroy people. And I really, really admire him for how far he's come and for his problem solving and for allowing himself to want things, to trust, to like be open. It's just, it's incredible. And I'm I'm really, really proud of him. (laughs) Yay. I love Adam too. And this is such a great book for him. He has grown so much. Yeah. Who would you like to spotlight for the whole book? Look, I'm going to spotlight Henry for this book. He never fails to win me over. I love him. So he gets my he gets my vote. I, mm. He's the only one who insists on making the magicians do something, which I think is a really important thing. I, like, look, if he'd been there with Artemis and Glendower, Glendower would not be dead. I, that's, <laughs> I maintain that Henry would have figured out a way through it just by, like, annoying them into doing the right thing. I don't know. He's just great. And I think that he should get more love. Do you hear me, fandom? More love for Henry. He's lovely. Justice for Henry. Justice for Henry. We need that on a hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> With the spikes. I just, I can't believe that this is it for season 12. See, 12 seasons. What a time. Yeah, we finished this series. This whole series. That's amazing. We're amazing. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Oh, it's been incredible. I just love these books so much. They're so joyous and meaty and lovely and glorious and all the adjectives they are wonderful um so we are going to take a little bit of time off and then we'll be back stay tuned for that can't wait all right i'll see you then see ya bye thank you for joining us today marginalia pod is written edited and produced by us jen d and jen v We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 